Hello and welcome to Any Last Words podcast with me, Ricky Lee. Um, this episode is particularly special because we have a world champion Olympic athlete, non-Stanford, triathlon legend from Wales, um, having a chat with us today. So that's really exciting and this wouldn't have happened without Sarah Richardson and I want to say thank you to Sarah for setting this up um, and uh, yeah basically being my mentor for the last six months. I couldn't have done any of this without you and your encouragement so thank you for being my mentor and thank you Media Trust and Screen Skills for setting this up as well. Um, yeah, I'm very thankful to everyone who's getting behind this podcast. It's new, it's really new, and I'm also obviously so thankful for the conversation that I got to have with Non today, and, um, I hope that you guys who are listening enjoy it as well. She is an incredible athlete, but she's also an incredible human, and I think that is something that you will hear today. So, yeah, here it is. Here's the interview with Non Stanford. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Good, how was your day? Yeah, pretty good, thanks, yeah. Um... It didn't rain, which is good because it's supposed to rain all day today. So that's definitely a positive. So <laughs> You're living in the future because you're like in Australia, Wollongong and post type kind of pandemic. So kind of a little bit jealous now and I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I guess I am living in the future a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully you guys will um, catch up. Obviously never catch never catch up in time. But um, yeah, you'll, hopefully you'll be um, sort of living the... Um, kind of more manageable covid life than you currently are so mm. but is how's it, it going um honestly it's just disappointing to turn on the television and watch the same news repeat itself again um obviously you've probably heard because you keep in touch with what's happening back home it's just like maybe we should like come out of lockdown now and then have another one later in summer and it's like no it doesn't make any sense to do that scientists have said don't do that just because we've got like a little bit of a decrease doesn't mean we're ready to jump back out but it's dangerous times in the house of commons I think so mm, I'm trying tough yeah um I think it's harder because we've got like um we've had this for over a year now and it's just like have we not learned from our mistakes and especially watching like because I have a few friends in Australia and New Zealand and all of that side of the world that was kind of handled this properly and they're going to concerts and gigs and like I, I can see their pictures of hugging humans that are like their friends and stuff like oh I miss hugging humans and I didn't even like doing that in the first place so (laughs) weird (laughs) yeah it's um I guess really highlights um yeah you what do they say you you miss what you haven't you only miss something when you when you can't have it and even Mm. for things that you didn't realize that you uh appreciated um I guess it really highlights that and it is tough and 
yeah, we feel really fortunate. You know, we made the decision to come over last March and it was the obviously a risk. That you we came didn't... over then? Wow. Yeah, last March. Yeah, just so I think we did like a week or two of lockdown in the UK um, and then made the decision to come over. Um, and like I said, it was a really tough decision because we didn't know if, you know, it was the best option, uh, what, what that was going to look like. But um, for a few different reasons, we, we came over and yeah, I just feel feel really fortunate because we have relatively, you know, complete normality um so yeah and I do you know I feel a bit guilty because uh obviously everybody back in the UK is is struggling and and mm. in this big lockdown and I do feel I do feel a bit guilty actually I remember taking off when we were taking off in London and thinking oh gosh I've made the I've made the worst decision I feel like I'm abandoning all my friends and family mm. um so yeah it's it is tough but um I definitely feel very fortunate that we you know we are here and, and the Australian government have dealt with it obviously very well I think it's a lot easier um obviously being in the UK it's an island but you're so closely linked to Europe it's yeah really difficult isn't it to do what sort of Australia and New Zealand have done and which is completely mm. shut borders so. and still now like the the shutting borders has been quite a mess as well it's like only now just doing quarantine after like over a year of everybody else doing it it just seems a bit slow but yeah, yeah with it being an epicenter of Europe it's so hard to avoid like the travel we have thousands coming in per day whereas exactly. Australia and New Zealand don't really have that many so um yeah fortunately you made the right decision I think going don't feel guilty it's it's good <laughs> that you did so what was last year like for you um, in Australia? Um, like what, what was you getting up to? I guess uh, we were able to kind of continue our training as normal, um, mm. which was which was great. It was one of the, wasn't the only, but one of the reasons that we sort of decided to come over was because even if the pools were shut here, you can swim in the ocean and they, mm. or they have ocean baths all along the coast. So um, they were, which were always, which were always open and accessible. So it meant that we could continue with our jobs. We couldn't race because there wasn't any racing opportunities, really. There was a couple, but not many. Mm. Um, but at least we could train. And um, I mean, initially we thought we'd come over for three months and then we'd come back to Europe and crack on with life as normal, right? But <laughs> um, that is nearly, three months is nearly turned into 12 months. And um, yeah, now look at sort of looking at my possible visa options mm. um, so that we can stay for as long as we kind of need to but yeah um I guess without kind of rubbing salt in the wound we have lived a fairly normal life the last 12 months um I think the biggest restrictions have been the nightclubs have been closed and that hasn't really at 32 years old that doesn't really affect <laughs> me as much anymore so. <laughs> oh god um with the last year as well the accessible pools and stuff so has your training regime pretty much been the same then as it would be pre-pandemic yeah it's been yeah it's been pretty pretty normal to be honest with you the biggest difference for me is that I've been coming back from knee surgery yeah. which I had uh, end of 2019 so my training's been altered in that way but um you know I've been able to do everything that I needed to do to get myself back to kind of fitness and and um I wouldn't say full fitness quite yet but we are we're chipping away and slowly getting there so yeah how was getting like to that point now where you're at like 
closer to full fitness because obviously you don't want to say I'm fully fit yet because knee surgery is huge and that injury that you took it was massive as well like getting Uh, over injuries is something you have to deal with as an athlete but at certain points you're just like again really why your body yes yeah (laughs) uh the again thing was um definitely something that I felt I kind of had quite a I guess a career that's been plagued by injuries Mm. unfortunately um and a lot often my own fault for you know maybe overdoing things or not listening to my body but I think this one unfortunately was um a bit of bad luck Mm. um which is which is a bit harder actually to to swallow but I always said before I got this injury like if I get another major injury I'm, I'm done I don't think I can go through you know another full rehab process yeah. but it happens and um I think I just took it really in in baby steps really broke it down and took each day as it came and um didn't put any pressure on myself to to get back quickly I kind of took the mindset of yeah I wanted to get back fit and be able to race again but I'm doing all this rehab because if I never get back uh fit mm. enough to be able to race I actually still want to be able to live a really active lifestyle so I need yeah. to I need to to do the rehab and you know for my need to be fully functioning again so there was kind of like a two-pronged motivation I guess in, the, mm. in that regard um and maybe took the pressure off me pushing too much but yeah you know I'm I'm pretty much back into full training now and looking forward to hopefully racing um next month over here <gasps> in Australia Ooh, so yeah race. yes oh <laughs> cool. whereabouts will that be that'll be in Malulaba, which is uh, just north of Brisbane in Queensland yeah, yeah yeah I lived in Australia so I actually know places so yeah um not oh, Wollongong though um I have I had to google Wollongong um but yeah <laughs> that's so good that you're gonna race in a month that's is that exciting yeah. for you or <sighs> a bit a bit mixed so yeah, yeah I'm excited to be able to race again but also it's been I think my last race was October 2019 so it's been so long that you're kind of also a little bit scared to be honest with you and a bit apprehensive about what that's going to look like and what it's going to feel like and you know I'm not haven't got any huge expectations for myself at all it's more about Mm -hmm. getting myself back on a start line and going through those processes and yeah kind of re-relearning how to race again and Mm. and kind of dusting off the cobwebs and and getting back out there and hopefully um in May we'll have the World Series start back up again over in Japan uh fingers crossed that the you know the world is in a fit state for Mm. us to be able to do that and um yeah hopefully by then then I'll be I'll be ready to kind of mix it back up with the with the top athletes yeah make a comeback that sounds like a non-thing to do Mm mm-hmm One of the topics that we wanted to chat about was women and girls in sport. And we've been back and forth with the emails. And I was wanting to basically start there before we like move back to wherever we move back to. So in terms of your history, like Google does a great thing of like giving you the background, but I'd kind of rather hear it from you and like your beginnings of sport. Like where did it first start that your love of being active came about? Um, Imagine I didn't Google everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I was actually really fortunate that I was born into a very sporty family. Uh, My mum was one of the British gymnastics coaches. 
Uh, my dad was always very active playing rugby, running. My brother was kind of sport obsessed. So I was brought brought up in a, an environment in a, and in a world where sport was the given and the done thing. And mm. I never remember um, any barriers being put up by, you know, my immediate family and immediate contacts, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, you know, to stop me from doing sport. So I was really, really lucky in that regard. And I think I probably grew up with a kind of a blissful ignorance to how difficult it is for other women and other mm-hmm. young girls to, to get into sport and um, how they're kind of not supported maybe as well as I was. But mm-hmm. yeah, just growing up I started in gymnastics and um but was always doing all sorts of sports I did tennis ballet swimming um yeah anything that I could could do I you know I I tried and my my parents kind of let me try everything that I wanted to try and uh, until I eventually kind of fell on well I really wanted to be a gymnast to be honest with you but when I was nine I went to a competition in America with a Welsh team and kind of when I was there I realized that maybe I wasn't as good as some of my peers were um so I came back and I said to my mum mum do you think I'll ever go to the Olympics as a gymnast and she (laughs) some people think it's a bit blunt but I think it's saved me a lot of uh, wasted time and energy and she said you know what probably not you know you're probably not you're probably not good enough so I was like right well I've got to find a sport that I am good enough to go to the Olympics in and um asked her to take me along to the swimming club because that was going to be the first sport that I that I tried and I don't really know where that passion to go to the Olympics came from Mm. I don't specifically remember watching the Olympic Games and thinking that's what I want to do but obviously it was ingrained in me somewhere maybe kind of growing up um in an elite gymnastics kind of environment I guess Mm. maybe it was just always around and um in the background and sort of sort of subconsciously part of yeah of, of my life in a way so yeah that's how it kind of all started and you know I've just grown up with sport and always been involved in it and and can't imagine really having a life without it in some in some sort of regard. Mm. That's crazy that you started with gymnastics ask your mom can I make the Olympics she said "Mm, no it's like okay well what can I make with the Olympics I love that kind of attitude at nine years old that's that's something that um is quite I'd say common in like uh, professional athletes, that grit and determination and the perseverance of I'm going to make it. I'm going to get a medal. I'm going to like become a champion. I was quite sporty. Um, I did not come from the same background as you. Like um, nobody in my family did sport whatsoever. It was like, oh, sports day counted at primary school, but that's about it. And that was like a compulsory thing. But like, I really enjoyed team sports. I didn't like doing the like solo things because I come from a big family. So I was just like, wanted a big family around me. So I did football, hockey, rugby as well. And the barriers that are faced in these types of sports, especially in, I'd say, northern areas, because it's quite, you know, stereotypical in that sense of, well, shouldn't you play netball or something a bit more feminine? Um, That started from such a young age, like already being told, is this sport for you? And that kind of barrier is, I think, still about today, unfortunately. What is your thoughts with that in terms of certain sports being linked to certain genders and so on? Yeah, you know, that's that's evident. You know, we're brought up 
watching men play football mm. on the TV. Um, you know, there's very, very little examples of women playing rugby or football, uh, basketball, you know, all mm. the sort of classic male sports. Um, we just don't, we're not exposed to them as, as young women um, mm. or, or, li- or little girls. And, um, you know, you, you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. So how how are they ever supposed to know that it's normal for for women and girls to to play these supposedly you know male dominated mm. or, or male sports um and it's definitely a cultural thing and um you know the media has a lot has a lot to to play in the, in in that because it's what they put out on on the TV and obviously you know it's, it's a complex issue in terms of well what's there a demand for and the demand at the minute is for male Premier League soccer and mm. um you know male rugby but there has to be a point where um I think they support um uh, support that need for for more female sports to be represented mm. um and yeah I think I think that's the biggest problem really is that girls don't see um or not just girls but men as well they don't see women playing football so they just assume mm. that it's not not for them so how are parents supposed to encourage their their children into you know the sports that they want to do if they they they're not exposed to it either mm. and I think as well like it's not just about exposure it's about knowing that you can make it as an athlete like those sports you can become a professional like especially now like women's premier league has really taken off in the last couple of years and when I was playing football like I did go see like um England play Sweden in Sheffield I think it was I like that was the first time I'd seen like a professional football game because I was taken with school and stuff and it was just incredible there was only a couple of hundred fans but there were still fans there um and I think watching like interviews and stuff with these athletes it's like oh well I do this as well the balance that a female athlete has to do with this um their life and the sport depending on the sport that they do is incredible because I have a few friends who play for the England rugby team and they're also doing normal jobs they're like nurses they're engineers they are a whole combination of other jobs as well as training at elite level because they are not invested in in the same way that the male teams are so like with that I think you're right in terms of investment and exposure and at what point does it become the responsibility for the broadcasters for the clubs to step in and be like you know what we've given a lot of money a lot of time a lot of exposure to the guys can we share that now with women with the girls and how do we like enforce a plan for that not just in like rugby football basketball like in all of the sports because unfortunately we're not seeing too many clubs doing it a few do but others are like well this is the way it is I love sport I don't care who's like playing it personally I want to watch tennis and um, I want to watch football it doesn't matter to me who's on the pitch like it's the sport that I'm interested in is that the case for you or would you say it's like a bit different like in terms of your love of sport yeah no definitely I think people say they prefer to watch male sport Mm. but I think that's because they've never really watched female sport you know so they don't actually know what it's about or they just think it's inferior or Mm. but if you you know, like something like athletics on, on the TV gets maybe equal coverage. So you it watch does, the men's yeah. 5K and you watch the women's 5K. 
And there's nothing to say that just because the women are running slower, the races are just exciting, if not more exciting, depending mm-hmm. on, you know, what happens. So why can't the same, you know, be said for sort of the more team-based sports? Mm. And yes, okay, at this point, maybe the men are slightly more skillful, but how do you ever expect the women to get there if they're not full-time athletes? You know, the Mm. men are full-time athletes, they're training all day, their whole lives are based around performing well, but you have your women who are, like you said, they have other professions and that's the only way they can support themselves. So Mm. it's massively inhibiting that sport's ability to get to the same level, you know, if, if the women can't invest as much of their time and energy into into just their performance mm. so I think that's going to be a barrier until the women are offered the same opportunities to you know to to become full-time athletes it is gonna probably lag behind mm. um maybe you know maybe I've you know misread that and not being fair on the ability of the women but I just feel like it's very difficult for them to compete with the men uh, relatively if they aren't given the same opportunities and the same chances. Definitely, I agree with that a thousand percent. You were mentored by Dame Kennelly Holmes, and that's insane. Like, in itself, is just like, wow. You know, to have somebody who's like an icon, a hero, someone to look up to, it's so incredible that that was given to you as an opportunity. And I think... I I don't know like was that something that shaped your kind of journey in a way like how you saw your professional um, life going? 100% Um, I think it really opened my eyes up to the fact that I could you know make a career out of sport out Mm. of being a female at the time I was running so a female athlete Um, and it really kind of streamlined my vision into Mm. thinking well that is what I want to do you know I don't really want to do anything else I want to be a professional athlete um and I think without having Kelly I guess almost um show support and belief in Mm. my ability you know I was always very self-motivated um but I think just having that really kind of cemented um my belief that I could go on to be a professional athlete and the stuff that I learned through being involved with her mentorship program really set me up for, I think, both for being a normal human being, but also for a life in sport. Mm. Um, you know, she taught us some really valuable lessons that I might have had to, might never have learned or might have learned the really hard way. Mm. Um but by being involved with Kelly and learning from her, I guess I kind of accelerated in, in many ways that process. And, you know, I've always credited um, her to, to a large part of my development as a young mm. athlete. And yeah, I think when you're younger, opportunities like that um, can be lost on you because you don't appreciate the value of them. But my parents and my, my coach at the time really, um, you know, drove home to me how, how lucky I was to mm. be part of that program and to make the best opportunities of it. And I think I really tried to do that. You know, I always tried to take as much as I could from my time with her and kind of be a bit of a sponge and soak it all up. And um, yeah, I think definitely at the start, I was a bit starstruck. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I so because I think the first camp that we did, she just, we went to South Africa in October 20 sorry 2004 so she'd just become the double Olympic champion so wow. you know she was sort of catapulted into the stardom mm. and all of a sudden I'm away in South Africa with her uh, and a few of the other girls that were, were selected to go and um, yeah kind of her showing us her professional 
athletic lifestyle, I guess. And um, yeah, it was it was really, really important. And I hope to one day be able to do something similar for for young women or, you know, if if the opportunity arises, young men as well in, Mm. in Wales specifically, because I'm I'm obviously Welsh and passionate about developing talent um, and giving Welsh athletes opportunities. Mm. Um, I'd love to be able to do, you know, I mean, obviously she has achieved so much more than I have and had so much uh, financial support for what she was doing. But if I could recreate, you know, something on a smaller scale to what she did, mm. then um, that would be brilliant. And it's something that has been on on my mind for, for, for many, many years. And um, I've done bits and pieces here with, the younger athletes but yeah. once I'm home and uh, probably retired um, or taken a bit of a backward step from my own career I'd really like to be able to put some energy into to doing that and giving back to you know to sport if I can especially mm-hmm. sport in Wales like I said yeah with the um, Kelly Holmes program that you sorry Dame Kelly Holmes program that you were on what was one of the lessons that you learned that you could share with us like that you would like to definitely incorporate into your future program because it will happen on I'm no doubt about it you will go back home to Wales and create the same if not more magic type of um, program for Welsh athletes. Um, so I guess this, like a serious kind of lesson that I learned was to always train smart so it's not necessarily more training that you do the better that you get you have to be really smart about your training and um, it's a lesson that I've continued to learn throughout my career and I think when I was younger she I can remember always saying you know don't train hard train smart and I didn't quite understand what she meant but as I've got older I've really been like oh, okay yeah I understand it now like I can't mm. always push uh, I need to be smart about what I'm doing so that's kind of like one of the most serious ones but um, one of the ones that always sticks with me is she was really um adamant about teaching us about traveling and how hard it can be when you're traveling on your own and all the Mm. sort of things that you can come up against so she kind of um created this mock airport and we all had to turn up with our hand luggage she said right pack as if you're going away so we all had to pack all our stuff up and went to this airport and um we were sat in this like waiting room for a bit and then we eventually got taken like back to our various dorms and stuff and uh, some of our suitcases well most of our suitcases hadn't made it through um the flight so we basically had to live off what we had in our backpack I think like in my head it's, it, it feels like it was a week but it's probably like 24 <laughs> hours or something um <laughs> and like just she tried try to teach us lessons like that like what have you got in your hand luggage can you survive for a few days have you got everything that you need to, to race you know if you turn up to a to a race and your like your luggage doesn't arrive have you got your track spikes have you got your race kit um have you got your nutrition because those are the most important things so mm. obviously none of us had done those things we had our like <laughs> um probably like game boys and sweets oh, I and love a game boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but none of us had spare underwear or or <laughs> clothes to do training the next day so when you look back it's funny and probably quite simple you know simple but um you know she taught us those lessons through sort of recreating those experiences mm. for us and uh, you know to say, to say I've never ever forgotten to pack any of my race <laughs> kit or race shoes <laughs> since that's so creative as well like to kind of prepare you for what might happen like have you had in those instances where you've lost luggage during your traveling or not yes you have <laughs> yeah yeah. Ab- yeah absolutely yeah like I've never lost luggage forever but I've definitely got to a race or got home for a race and your bags just haven't made it 
Um, and I've never, unfortunately, my stuff has always arrived in time for the race. Okay. But, you know, we often turn up at a race maybe three or four days before. And if you haven't got any um, training kit or anything for, for a few days, then you're, you're, you're pretty stuffed. You know, I'm sure people would help out, but you'd rather be in your own knickers, wouldn't you? So. <laughs> One of the other things about women in sport, because obviously you're a triathlete, so like looking at triathlon from a spectator point of view, it's so hardcore. Like it is three of the most insane sports for me personally, because I like cycling. I like swimming. I don't like running unless it's for a ball or a human or a bus. Um, so like, to put them all together and then race is quite, ins- like, I like to watch it and I've been listening to the podcast as well. And I was like, I'll try it at one point after listening to the tripod and hearing, um, like those humans do it for the first time. Do you remember your first time doing triathlon and like feeling out of depth or was you completely, you know what, this is easy. Well, not easy, but this is for me. You know what I mean? Absolutely, 100%. My first year in, in triathlon, um, I was completely 100% out of my depth. Um, would make mistakes everywhere. Like, so did Blenheim triathlon uh, in my first year. And so I jumped on my bike after the swim mm. and was like so intently looking down at my feet uh, to see how to get my feet into my shoes because you have your <laughs> shoes attached to your bike. Yeah. So j- jumped on that I rode into the barrier and crashed and fell off. So that was that wasn't a good start. <laughs> for the race. Um, yeah, I, I finished my first ever Olympic distance triathlon, and I said to my mum, "I am never ever doing that again." Um, <laughs> I was like, "That was that was too far. I'm not doing it again." But obviously, obviously, I did. Mm-hmm. But um, I said to her on the way because it was up in Scotland in Strathclyde, and we were driving back down to Birmingham where I was studying as a student and I was like we are stopping at the services and I'm buying my weight in dairy milk that was awful (laughs) (laughs) so um I was definitely very amateur at the start that's for Mm, sure mm. and do you have a favorite do you prefer one to the or do you like it all now like because I personally I think I'd like the swim and then I'd look at where I have to go I'm like no actually I'm I'm just gonna stay in the water and like just carry on (laughs) bye guys but um do you have that kind of feeling when you're in the water or on the bike or in the run like ah I wish I could do a bit more of this one or no are you completely I can separate the three and bring them together type thing um on a day-to-day basis for training and that Mm. kind of stuff definitely uh my favorite is running I guess I grew up running spent most of my teenage years running so and it's the easiest one to do. You just put your shoes on and, and go out the door. Mm. Um, I've definitely grown to love the bike. Yeah. Um, I just, there's a sense of freedom when you're out on the bike and you can explore much further than you can when you're running. You know, you can obviously cover a lot more distance. So, mm. um, yeah, I have grown to love biking. Swimming in a swimming pool is definitely my least favourite. But swimming open water is is quite nice when you're sort of out in the ocean or in a lake and you can see all the fish and Mm. just sort of a sense again it's like a sense of freedom um in a race swimming again is my least favorite because it's actually really physical Mm. um at at the elite level I'm sure um sort of the more amateur racing is far far more civilized yeah the 
the swim in the in sort of the elite racing is pretty brutal because you have 70 athletes all trying to swim to one point in a short space of time. So there's inevitably a lot of knocking and kicking and kind of getting caught up in um, unintentional brawls. So yeah, the swim is my least favourite and I enjoy the bike and if I'm having a good day, I enjoy the run, but mm. sometimes it feels like a really long way. <laughs> you get off, it's never going to end, but yeah. <laughs> but you keep going, you've kept going like constantly and triathlon I think isn't as accessible as other sports and I think that's one of its downfalls. As a spectator, I'm not an athlete, so... I think especially like getting people into sport, getting young women into sport, you need to start early on. And do you think triathlon has done its fair share in doing that? Like to try and get um, this into schools and stuff, like to have like a triathlon open day or something to try and entice, you know, unlikely athletes. Do you think that's something that triathlon and you would like to do yourself? Like, just go, why not give it a try? Just a little, like, because it is triathlon. So I think that's why people are a bit cautious when they want to just like, never try that, even though it's called triathlon. No, no. But I I actually (laughs) do want to try now after listening to the podcast, watching um, the race. Like, I've always watched it in the Olympics and the world champions because I like to watch sport. But I would never dream of me doing that as an actual thing. Tough mudders, stuff like that. No, no. But triathlon, <laughs> I'm like, Ma, maybe. But like, how do you kind of get that into the beginnings of someone who's into sport, but not maybe into triathlon? So I can completely see where you're coming from in mm. terms of um, triathlon being accessible. It's, I guess, probably quite a daunting sport to get into a lot of people aren't comfortable with open water swimming it's obviously what you see on tv is quite a long event so mm. some people are quite daunted by the distance uh and also there's a lot of equipment you know there's there is. Uh, there's a there's a bike at the end of the day and maybe not everybody feels or wants to invest in a bike if they just mm. want to give it a go so there are a lot of barriers to overcome and but there are a lot of initiatives as well to really popularize uh, triathlon and, and bring it to the masses and make it accessible. Mm. So um, British Triathlon have a program called Go Try. And yeah. I think they go around, they're often at like different races. So people mm-hmm. can, um, maybe their husband's doing the actual triathlon, but they've never done one before. And there's a little event where they can swim in the pool and then you're provided with a bike for the day that you can, you know, do a really short bike ride and a little run off. Or if there's no pool, they just do the bike and the run. So yeah. they just really try and give people a bit of a taster, um, a taster of what it's mm. like, but also they still get that sense of achievement that they've completed something. Mm. Um, and then in terms of schools, uh, the Brownlee Foundation actually does brilliant things across the country now it started in Yorkshire obviously where the boys are from but it's I think they go to schools all over the country now and yeah they they turn up with bikes for all the kids Mm. and um yeah the kids swim in the pool they get out they're given a bike to ride for the day they do a bit of a run they finish they get a finisher's medal if they're really lucky the boys are there so they get to meet the boys so they're doing brilliant things of bringing triathlon to the younger generation because Mm. when I was growing up I'd never heard of triathlon you know it was only when I got to university and I was 18 19 that triathlon kind of came onto my radar Mm. um but I think more and more now you're getting children who are growing up with triathlon and Mm. um 
a lot of that is kind of I call it the brownie effect since yeah. London 2012 it's become more of a mainstream sport so parents are doing it therefore children are doing it and I think mm. there's waiting lists now at triathlon clubs to get children into the sort of junior and youth programs which is fantastic so mm. I think it's it's slowly becoming you know a sport that you start from when you're young but obviously people of our generation yeah. they won't probably have done triathlons so it is daunting for them to you know they might fancy it but they're not quite sure where to start and mm. the, the try go is a is a great thing and also most Local triathlon clubs are fantastic at welcoming beginners. Triathlon is such a friendly community. um, And I think everyone's always welcomed and and given all the advice and support Mm. that they need. So I think going along to your local club and, and sort of, getting involved that way would be would be a good good way to go about it as well and there'll probably be people that are willing to lend you some equipment to <laughs> to get you through your first your first couple of ones until mm. you decide if it's what you want to do I, I was really fascinated by the equipment talks on the tripod um podcast because I was just like obviously you think of the you just need a bike you know a wetsuit and then it's all of the little things of like do you wear underwear with your wetsuit or do you not? Do you like need Vaseline for your rub? Like the whole process with some um, athletes is quite incredible of how they have specific routines for things. But when you're just starting, you don't need to worry about like having Vaseline for your um, neck. It's if it rubs on the fat, then you will know next time I need to, you know, Vaseline do you Vaseline your neck as well or no yeah yeah I do yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Vaseline yeah. Or, or baby oil or something just to stop it from rubbing but I mean yeah for your first your first one I just would say completely don't overthink it mm. um get what the basics of what you need to to do the race so probably if you're doing an open water swim in the UK it would be a wetsuit but yeah. most likely a lot of the amateur races are in swimming pools so yeah. your swimming costume your hat and goggles and off you go and yeah it doesn't matter what bike you've got you just mm. get into transition put your shoes on you know you can do flat pedals you don't have to be fancy and clipping just put your trainers on and um yeah it can be a mountain bike it can be a bmx whatever you mm. want to ride on is absolutely fine and then yeah just i just say don't overthink it and you'll slowly learn and if you enjoyed that event then you'll be more you'll have more, more motivation to go out and learn and yeah um, i think I think it becomes quite addictive because there's so many small little things that you can improve on or or learn about and um, you realize oh well, if I improve on this then my performance will in- improve slightly and there's so mm. many different ways that you can you can do that really so that's I guess one of the um, charms and attractions of, of triathlon for people. Mm. I well I live in Bristol currently so I do the cycle route from Bristol to Bath and I love it because it's flat and I like flats a lot for cycling I don't like the hills I don't mind going down but no like going up is just like such a struggle I when I watch it as well when athlete I'm like how do you just not like sulk because I'm a sulker when there is a hill or and I'm just like oh come on just keep pedaling but it's in my face and in my whole body and mindset of like I don't like doing this like how do you change that kind of mindset of like I love a hill like it's great really enjoying what I'm doing right now yeah (laughs) um it doesn't get easier you just get faster (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah I don't always love the hills Uh, and there's definitely a few races where I'm probably sulking behind my sunglasses (laughs) (laughs) 
but you think if I don't get up with everybody else then I'm gonna have a really lonely uh rest of the race so you mm. kind of have to suck it up at, suck it up and make sure you um don't get dropped but uh yeah it's it doesn't always get easier so uh, I'm sorry okay <laughs> look, for, look for flat races if you're gonna do, <laughs> do you have a favorite location like one of your places that you're like oh I want to go back there constantly because that is my place to do the triathlon or do you have a least favorite and well you probably can't say that let's go with your favorite just <laughs> to be um I, le- I have got very fond memories I guess of the places that I've raced well yeah um so I've had some I actually really love Japan as a country I love that it's Mm. culturally very different uh the people are super polite and it's very clean and I just think it's a really cool place to visit and always enjoy Mm. going there and generally race really well there so I think I have a really positive kind of connection between you know Japan and racing and performing Mm. well um New Zealand is another place I won my first um, world title as another 23 mm-hmm. in Auckland. So again, I have really positive associations with New Zealand. And again, it's a beautiful country. So yeah. um, that helps. Um, and where else? I used to race in San Diego. And yeah, that's also a really awesome place. And again, probably because I had a good race there. Yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't get to go there anymore, though, which is a shame. But um, it'd be nice if that one came back. Why has that changed? Why did they stop San Diego? Um, probably financial reasons. Mm. Um, I think it's quite expensive to host the World Series race, but mm. uh, they only have a certain number of races each calendar, and I think countries have to kind of bid to get the races. So, mm. um, or cities have to bid to get the races. So, uh, yeah, that's probably one of the reasons. You have your classics, the ones that are there every year: Yokohama in Japan, Hamburg in Germany. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, they, they'll never change. <laughs> That's wicked. One of the things that you wanted to talk about as well was sustainability. As an athlete, obviously your nutrition and everything like that is quite important. Um, do you incorporate any kind of veganism, vegetarianism? Are you one of those humans or are you completely like I'm still eating meat I'm still what is it that you're doing for you that it it doesn't kind of impact your sport if that makes sense yeah so right now I you know I eat meat I'm not a vegan but I'm I guess more and more conscious and aware of the impact that I'm having on the environment Mm. um by doing those things and you know so I'm I'm trying to do like you know meat free Monday and um we we do hello fresh me and my partner so um I try to make sure that we always get at least one vegetarian meal and Mm -hmm. so I'm conscious of it but for me personally I'm not in terms of my career and my performance I don't think it'd be beneficial for me to completely go vegetarian or vegan at this point in my career but you know I think once I've I've retired I'm not definitely not committing to being a vegan I definitely um you know make more of an effort to you know I won't I don't feel like I'd need to eat as much protein in mm. meat form um and that kind of thing I can you know I'm not I won't be looking for as much convenience I guess a lot of the time we're looking for convenient options um Mm. you're tired after training you've had a long day you just go for the easy option um so yeah you know I am really conscious of that and I'm trying to make changes um I guess the other ways that I'm trying to do it is by you know reducing plastic um so by trying my best to buy stuff that isn't full you know completely packaged in plastic Mm. um going to 
wholesalers so I take my own pots and bags and stuff yeah. to, to the shop and fill them up and you know do do everything that I can uh without you know I'm definitely not perfect and I'm still learning I follow mm. all these accounts on Instagram and get hints and tips and I guess one of the biggest things for me that I hate is food waste so mm. um I drive my partner insane by like trying to use up everything and um the freezer's packed of st- full of stuff that I've like tried to make and uh save and and, and stuff like that but um yeah I'm like you know, like I said, it's very difficult with being an athlete because a lot of, mm. you know, we travel a lot. So that's obviously yeah. not great for, for the environment um, and, you know, for convenience and kind of at the minute for me, nutritional performance, I feel like I need to, I personally still need to incorporate meat into my diet. Mm. Um, and like a lot of the products that we use come in plastic. So, you know, like the nutritional, you know, the bars or yeah. the gels or that kind of stuff so um yeah I'd love is, to kind of go on sorry got, no I was just gonna, is there any like nutritional companies that like the gels and the bars like looking at different ways to package like is that something um, that's happening or not really um yeah not I don't immediate know knowledge so, yeah but I'm sure I'm sure there will be companies that are that are trying to to do that and that's one of mm. my kind of goals I guess I've set myself is to try and work with the companies that um I'm currently you know supported by mm. so that they can you know hopefully improve their packaging and you know a classic example is like um clothing often comes in a lot of plastic yeah um and the company that supports me with bike kit win republic they've actually started doing all their clothes come in like completely biodegradable bags Mm. the envelopes that they send you open it one way um but there's still like a sticky label so you can reuse the envelope and I'd love it if all my you know sponsors and supporters could kind of do the same sort of thing um just to you know just everybody makes small efforts then hopefully it contributes to massively in the long run um things like not using cell you know plastic sellotape you can use paper sticky tape mm. now and that means that you know you can put that straight into the recycling bin and it can all be recycled whereas if you put a box in the in the recycling bin now and it's got sellotape all over it can't be recycled mm. so um you need to unfortunately make people's lives easier otherwise they lose the motivation to, to do the right thing you know to break <sighs> things down and yeah I I live in a shared house and like there's one individual who does not wash like the tins or the plastic that they use and it just drives me nutty because I think it's just a tiny little thing I know it's like an OCD thing from my point of view but if that shows a little bit of kindness to the like thin humans who take that away like it just takes two seconds of your time to rinse it out and then it our bins aren't so it's just like a little thing I don't know why it just irritates me and then putting things in the recycling thing that's not recyclable I'm just like why why do you do that is that something just to wind me up or is it just because of your lack of knowledge on the subject even though we've got posters and everything of like this is what recycles in this bin and this bin like I think there's been so much effort but again it's about people's choices isn't it like actually I just don't want to put the coke can in the coke bin I'm gonna put it in the black bin it's just like then I have yeah. to move it and like it's just a little oh yeah it irks me a little bit I'm not gonna lie <clears throat> I'm 100% on board with that yeah um I try really hard not to kind of be preachy about it mm. um and like just but try to kind of like gently guide people into um <laughs> 
in, into how to do things and like I said I'm not an expert at all and I'm just learning as I go and mm. trying my best but yeah I think the ignorance of some people and their unwillingness to to try does <sighs> irk me as well um but I'm, and I'm always quite surprised a bit but I think uh, it's that classic thing of um on social media you follow the accounts that you're interested in mm. so in my world I feel like everybody's doing all these things you know everybody's into you know reduce reuse um recycle you know all these kind of things yeah. but actually that's just because what I'm exposing myself to yeah. when I you know talk to like even friends and stuff they completely yeah. like oblivious to just simple recycling a, a lot mm. of the time as well and um why it's so important to do and um you know how much more we have to improve before you know we can even start to begin to think about combating climate change mm. and you know making sh- kind of securing the future you know for future generations and, and just for the planet itself really um and I mean you can't have everybody passionate about the same things right um you know you yeah. can't get everybody on board um but it's one of those things that you really hope that people you know just with a little bit of intelligence can realize that we have to do it mm. it's not really it's, it's not really a choice um anymore you know it's something that we all need to get on board with and yeah um I'm trying trying my best to, to be better at it and I'm just trying to make small changes all the time as well I think I think that's kind of what I try to tell people as well like well just once a month change something so I don't know something small like you stop buying uh sponges you go out and buy like a bamboo wooden mm. um cleaner for your breath and I was like you only have to buy that once you know and then yeah. you don't have to keep going out and re- rebuying these things so yeah it's just making small changes that actually might be more expensive initially but work out far better in the long run mm. um so yeah and, and some some solutions are really expensive and not viable for everybody but like I said if everybody did small things and, and gradually those become normal so it doesn't mm. feel like a, a change then does it so definitely I think if everybody did a small thing all of that adds up to the big thing and obviously it's just one small thing that you can do as an individual it's not anybody else it's you you're taking ownership in this um, world and like actually making an effort for it it's not just about you it's about everybody else and yeah making that small little effort it's just it feels like no well it depends on the echo chamber you're in like especially I think my environment it's like irritable because maybe they just didn't grow up watching David Attenborough and caring about the planet or anything like that but that's fine um one of the things because this podcast came about literally because I'd read a news article about um a woman who was on death row and they asked her any last words and she didn't have anything to say so that's why I came up with the idea of a podcast and like just chatting with some humans I'm I've got a few like questions that you can or cannot answer it's up to you none I don't want to like pressure you it's completely on you um your last social media post do you know what it was um probably me I think I was cycling actually (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I think it was a video of me of me cycling um practicing race kind of specific um skills and stuff so yeah that's probably pretty pretty mainstream for an athlete I guess pretty boring (laughs) what was the last post that you liked do you know actually I do I was going through um a plastic free account 
<laughs> and looking at all their tips and ideas um, for how to reduce plastic around the house and how to reduce food waste. So something on their account. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what was the last show that you watched? Do you watch much TV? I'm sure you do. I hope yeah um well we're actually watching a lot of the minute at the Australian Open because the tennis is on over Mm -hmm. here and it's pretty big so I'm not sure that counts as a show but I guess the last Netflix series that we watched was um Narcos yeah it's actually the second time that we watched it (laughs) really so you've re-watched it well some of the people we were we were away in a training camp and some of the people that we were house sharing with hadn't seen it before so we were like right we can definitely do this again so and it was just as good the second time around so so good I highly recommend it yeah Mm. what are your thoughts about Yoshiro Mori resigning over his sexist remarks made. Do you know about that? The Japanese Olympic um, yes. ambassador? What were your thoughts when you saw that and his resignation as well? Um, you know, he's a public figure, so you have to be aware of what you're saying. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, he. I like to like, think well of him and I think that he kind of didn't really mean Mm. you know mean it as it sort of came out and yeah um but I mean you have to be careful about what you say and it's so important it's so important these days and there's so many sort of drives to you know create equality for women and for women to not be degraded or um you know and as somebody that's involved in the Olympics and the Olympics is really kind of I'd say quite good at offering equality Mm -hmm. um Maybe it depends what country you come from, but you know, obviously in the UK, I feel like you know, women is the women are given as just as much exposure as the men, so there mm. is equality at the Olympics, and yeah. you shouldn't have somebody that's so closely associated. You hope, anyway, not making those kind of remarks. So, mm. um, I always think it's harsh when someone has to resi- resign, maybe mm. an apology, but um, equally, it wasn't the smartest move, probably. <laughs> I agree. And what was your last meal? Um, I just made a lentil and sweet potato dal. It's a vegetarian. Ooh, well done. <laughs> Very good. And if you had, oh, um, your last song that you played, do you remember that or probably not? The last song that I played? Um, probably not actually, but I am always obsessed with uh, Howling, Howling For You by, I, I, I say I'm obsessed with it and I've forgotten the bloody the, uh, artist. Um, like oh, the black black keys, is it? the black, black keys. keys. Yeah, yeah so that's one yeah. of my favorite songs. And yeah, howling for you. God, sorry, I had a like complete mind blank then. It's like <laughs> panic mode. Descended. Um, yeah, I absolutely love that song, and it's kind of my go-to song when um, I don't know what else to put on Spotify. I'll uh, put that on for a bit, and uh, yeah, it always makes me smile. That's such a good one. And any last words from you, Nan? Because um, I don't want to take up any more of your evening, especially because um, it's in the future. I don't know what's happening <laughs> right now, so. <laughs> um I just want to say thank you very much for um having me on the podcast it was so nice and refreshing so obviously we talked about triathlon but not just to talk about me and what I've done but you know Mm. to talk about issues and things that are sort of important to me and that I'm passionate about and yeah it was really really great to to have Mm. that conversation with you so thank you no thank you and I I really like your blog actually because one of the last one last things I read was the post where you was like 
are you paying cash do you know the taxi driver from York to London (laughs) and I just really enjoyed the fact that obviously trains were delayed and cancelled in Yorkshire that's an experience I've had as well and just like your whole process of that and at the end like did you pay cash because you don't actually say in the the blog post Or did you pay by card? Um, I fortunately, the reason I was going down to London um, was to work with I think it's Sky Sports, and fortunately they paid for the taxi oh, for me. So. Yes, <laughs> I was very lucky because I'm, I'm not sure I would have forked out. I think it was probably close to five hundred pounds. So. Yeah, yeah. I liked how he was like, "I'm gonna have to call the missus and tell her I will not make it home for fish supper." And I was like, "Oh, this is just so Yorkshire." So yeah, I'm looking forward to reading some more blog posts especially now that you're in Oz and your life may not be in the club but at least you're going out to cafes maybe and going out in the world and seeing humans hugging humans whatever you're doing (laughs) yeah definitely and thank you for reading the blogs yeah it's cool really appreciate it I need to do a new another one because I don't think I've done one since we emerged from two-week hotel quarantine back in April so (laughs) Mm, yeah I'm looking forward to the next one so yeah I'll message you soon um once this is all done yeah I'm kind of new at this so I don't know how long it might take me to edit you're like literally my second guest so I feel kind of like overwhelmed that I got a human like you to agree to chat to me so it's like ha what are the odds but yeah um might take me a bit of a week maybe no rush okay um hopefully it was a positive experience yeah you're really it worked good. out to be a, an okay podcast <laughs> I, we'll, we'll have to wait and see like other people will like who how did you get to talk to now I, I just emailed her you know she's very <laughs> open and friendly <laughs> so um, thank you so much yeah thank you Nan, and I hope you have like a nice evening and um a good brew you drink tea right I drink tea yeah we've got got our Yorkshire tea over here it's all good (laughs) (laughs) well enjoy your Yorkshire brew and I'll speak to you soon yeah have a lovely day thanks thank you again bye bye